How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Waterfowl 365 presented by BTBN. I am your host, Chris Adams. If you're not following along with us on social media, make sure you check out Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff under BTBN. You can keep up with what we have going on. However you're listening to this thing, whether it be Podbean, iTunes, whatever application you choose, please leave us uh, some feedback or a view. Hit that subscribe and follow button so that way you can be alerted when new episodes come out and uh, just keep up with what's going on. It's got a, uh, yeah, if you want to get yourself a uh, paperweight of a duck call, check out Unstable Calls, Instagram and Facebook. Great duck calls. They make great paperweights and they might kill a duck as well. Start of another week. Fall is almost here. Kids are back at school. Football starts this weekend. Or no, we got one more week of preseason. But uh, yeah, it's starting to feel like fall. Hunting begins this week. We got uh, some dove hunts. So we got teal hunts in two weeks. I think bow hunters are getting ready to get back in the stand. You just got everything going on right now. And it's starting to feel like the best time of the year. Today, I have a local guest on today. Uh, He has done some national television shows. He's a photographer for um, Bass Pro. He has uh, Missouri's two two of the top five largest turkeys ever taken with a bow. Just a, a good buddy of mine that I've known for quite a while. And we'll jump into it. So without any further ado, Mr. Michael Heffernan. Michael, how are you doing, brother? I'm good, Chris. How are you? Oh, man, just enjoying it. I've been on lockdown with my family for like the last two weeks because of a freaking COVID exposure. So I never thought I would say that I'm ready to go back to work, but I get to go back on Wednesday and I'm like super hype because I can't go to the gym. I can't go to the store. I can't do freaking anything. <laughs> like, yeah, it's awful. That stuff mess. That that'll mess with a, a person mentally being trapped at home. Oh, uh, dude, it's terrible. And I didn't even have like I make duck calls, and uh, I didn't even have like a bunch of material to work on. So it was yeah. like the first week I literally did nothing. And uh, my buddy was asking, you know, like if I was gonna. He was talking about drinking or something like that. I was like, dude, if I go down that path with nothing to do. I'm going to get up at 10 o'clock in the morning and start drinking, you know, just drinking a beer every two hours. That's still a lot of freaking <laughs> beer, man, you know? Yeah, it is. It's not even like I'm trying to get drunk. It just tastes good. But, uh, yeah, it is. Go ahead. Exposure. Do what? It was, you guys just had, somebody got exposed. None of you have it, right? Uh, one of my daughters had it last week. Yeah. So, yeah, good I stuff. Gotcha. Yeah, good she stuff. She doing Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's great. Today is her first official day back at school. So, nice. I, yeah, I'm pretty stoked for her and uh, glad to have them out of the house. I bet, man. God bless. Let me tell you, normally you can send your kids to the neighborhood friend's house and all that type of stuff. Like, I love my children to death. I love spending time with them. But 14 uninterrupted days of nobody else, that is a long time. Yeah, dude. I, I went through it once. I, I know how, how you feel. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, brother. So, Michael, you do, dude, you do a ton of stuff. You're not a, a big duck goose hunter. I know you enjoy doing it because you went with us over the years a few times. Right. But uh, you're a big freaking deer hunter. Is that your number one outlet? 
Yeah, I'd say I'm most passionate about about chasing whitetails, and then obviously uh, turkey hunting is pretty pretty big in my life as well. But um, I feel like the the most rewarding and the the most um, how do I say this? It takes whitetails take majority of the work. Rather, you can go kill a turkey anywhere. Um, not to take anything away from turkey hunting, I love it. It's it's right up there with whitetail. But yeah, definitely definitely a whitetail hunter when it comes down to it. Yeah, dude. I see. That's the one thing that I just never had the patience to get into. Um, mm-hmm. Dude, it just takes so much time. It's so long. Obviously, that's why I love waterfowling because you've been hunting with me. I don't have, you know, among our group of friends, nobody in there could really <laughs> sit still that long. And turkey no. hunting, I got to be running and gunning, man. If I'm going to be doing it. Yep. Yep. It's a blast. I will say. Uh, I went on a photo shoot in Arkansas last January for work on a waterfowl shoot. And I'd never hunted flooded timber or anything like that. And that definitely, that definitely raised, um, me like that, that raised my, uh, what's the word? Desire, passion, like desire to get into duck hunting more. That, that was badass. Yeah, birds working through the trees, man, is a magical, magical thing. I've seen them, you know, out on big water and coming in fields, which is also very, very cool. But the first time I ever was in, you know, standing timber, up water up to the freaking crotch, and you just yeah. see 500 mallards start pouring through the trees, uh-huh. it's something different, man. Well, and they, the guys that, that hosted us down there, they even told me, they are like, this was a shitty hunt, like... We didn't even kill a bird, but there was birds everywhere. It was late in the season. They were they kept saying they were just hole shy, but uh, man, it was a blast, and I, I'm truly looking forward to, to doing it again this this fall. See, and that's something you mentioned that you have a very cool job. Um, I didn't even know you had it until I started looking up information. I was like, man, I should have Michael on, and I was like, holy crap, dude, he's actually working for BP now, Bass Pro, doing some photography. Tell me a little bit about how you got into that. And obviously, I knew that you did the TV game for, what, it's been six years now? Yeah, six, so, seven years. Six, and that, seven. That, that goes into to telling you how I got into to doing what I'm doing. Just growing up, um, hunting with my grandpa and my uncles and stuff, like I've always had this passion to, to hunt. And, you know, watching old Realtree Outdoors, Jury Outdoors, VHS videos and shit as a kid, like, that's what I grew up on, and that—that's really where my passion started for for hunting, and that led to me um, wanting to to get a camera. And so I, I bought a, a cheap camera from Walmart, just a video camera, and just started taking it with me on my hunts. And uh, linked up with some guys that that had a local TV show here in the Springfield area, and yeah, that's how I got into it. Started filming for for that show for three or four years locally, and. Um, upgraded camera equipment started filming with the DSLR which got me into photography which is what I'm doing now at Bass Pro Shops uh, in Cabela's so yeah just working in the photography videography department and then filming my hunts on the side for for jury outdoors as well so it's been a it's been a crazy it's really been a, a dream like it was always a dream of mine to do this and I can truly say I'm, I'm living that out yeah, man, you because it seems like I feel like you started with the other show right when we 
branched off from uh, the partner show that we had, and when me uh-huh. and David did our own thing. And I think is that when you started with that first show? Uh huh. Yep. Okay. I yeah. think it was a year or two, like right after that. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. So you you start off and you're you're like, hey man, I'm gonna film myself. Like it was just a. I know from my own experience, and I did it at the lowest level. And you know, you've gone up to higher and better things. That it was. You think it's easy. Like you start off and you're like, everybody can do this. It's great. And then you start trying to do it, and you're like, this is a freaking nightmare. It's a and, shit show. Dude, it, I, there's so much stuff that people just don't see. No, there's a ton. It's a, it is a ton of work. Well, I mean, cameras aside, being a white donor and doing all this stuff to, to be successful in the fall, that's a ton of work in the first place. Add filming all that on top of it, it's, it's a mess. Yeah, and it, it's one of those things, you st- like all the people want to jump into it especially from the whitetail side of side of things like self-filming yeah and dude is that something you have a lot of experience with like it seems to me like that'd be a waste of time it's it i mean if you want quality footage you're you're wasting your time trying to self-film don't get me wrong some some guys can pull it off but it's a task that i i hate i hate having to take on i i want nothing to do with it yeah, because there's, there's too many moving parts, man. And all this time, you're trying to remain quiet and still and get a bow ready and all, you know? Well, yeah, and last fall, or not last fall, but uh, two falls ago uh, in Kansas, it cost me cost me a whitetail tag. I had a, a stud buck coming through the timber. And, you know, being by myself, having you got to be a cameraman first when you're filming. And uh, I had him at 30 yards broadside, just couldn't get couldn't get the camera and then the bow in my hand and couldn't get it done it sucked man that's one of the things that i had to train like i knew when i was doing it because i had so much money time everything other than hunting tied up into our gig that i knew what i wanted as a product i knew what i had to do like it's really easy to say i'm gonna do everything the right way and then, okay, so say it's sunrise, you know, lighting is not optimal. And now cameras, everything digital and freaking mirrorless, like you can do so much better. But back right then, it was kind of at the very beginning of that. And, uh, you know, it's still dark outside. Like there's not great footage. That's when birds fly the best. And I would yeah. have to tell guys, I'm like, hey, we're not shooting yet. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, dude, the lighting is not there. We cannot shoot yet. Like it just it's really hard to even make yourself when you're excited as a hunter because that's why you get into it is you're a hunter and you're excited to see this and you're like damn it i can't even pull the trigger right now because the camera angle's not right you know something's not good with it yeah you really have to be disciplined um when you involve cameras and you got to put that that aspect of it first before the killing part so very cool man well so you were doing that other local show and then you moved on to uh working with jury did it was there a step in between there no so so um after quitting the local show um my buddy brett and i started working with our local bow shop midwest archery on the north side of springfield and just chit-chatting with those guys a couple times they just thought it'd be cool if if we used their products that they carry and just keep filming our hunts so not really not really doing a show per se but 
I mean, we're filming our hunts and putting our our footage out in the shop for them to show and pretty much just to promote the products they have for them. Um, so that led to, to ATA trade shows, making contacts, meeting people, working with companies. And then, and then one day it got to a point where the juries reached out to us to do a photo and video shoot, um, for their new season of shows. And, you know, going up there, uh, I think it was three or four days that we hung out at Mark's farm and, just getting to know those guys super down to earth coolest guys in the world but when we were up there we're obviously talking hunting and brett and i are showing them our footage and shit and i remember terry jury saying why the fuck aren't you guys filming for us and we're like that's a damn good question and (laughs) the rest is history so it super humbling experience and just couldn't be any happier to to be a part of the jury team so it's it's going from small local stuff to that is pretty big accomplishment but man we put our heart and our fucking soul on this stuff and i mean you you, it's it can be it can be done and if i can do it anybody can do it but you have to want it and you got to be passionate about it and the main thing is you got to be able to get through the bullshit and all the people that are telling you it's impossible you can't do this you can't do this so well and that's you know one of the things that people don't see is that behind the scenes of just what you're talking about everybody thinks i'm gonna be on tv i'm gonna get paid a lot of money i'm gonna be famous bro you still you work at bass pro like you're doing your dream but you're still getting up and going to a job you got off work right before we started this thing i know when i was filming i was working 50 hours a week still on top of trying to do the hunting show thing like that's why i got out of it it was too much it wasn't um rewarding enough at that point in my life to do all that stuff so guys see the hey they're famous they're on tv they're getting paid no most of those guys are still freaking working normal jobs and you have to have that desire to take on another full-time job oh yeah i'd say 90 percent of the jury cast have full-time normal jobs if not more 95 probably yeah, it's a huge time commitment. And uh, the more family, you know, you start getting kids and stuff like that, dude. It just it's not feasible for the vast majority of guys. It's it's a young man's game, but you have to have the knowledge and the patience of somebody who's been around a while, you know? It's like a weird yeah, mixture. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so you go into the jury thing, and could you tell a huge difference between like one of the things that i hated about the local nonsense the most was the drama oh god yeah that is like an unseen unfreaking written like but it was non-stop like it wasn't as bad when we were doing our own thing but there were still uh-huh. still problems that came along with it and you just yeah. being on the national show level like i don't know if that's as bad there it's it's almost non-existent there's no it, there's none of that is it because you know you don't see like other because the local shows you're all in the same spot you know you, know, you right. used to go to these hunting expos and crap like that and uh-huh. you'd be right next to each other in the booth and right. almost everybody was cool but there was always that one drama I think oh, one yeah. one specifically, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> we've mentioned him on the show before. But uh, yeah. yeah, there it just seems like there's so much drama. So maybe at the national level, 
people just treat it a little more professionally maybe no it's definitely way more professional and honestly it it's a, a really tight unit like i know when we think of this area where we where we like where we live at and like those shows and everybody being local it's honestly the same even though the guy the bigger shows in the industry are all spread out it's like one tight knit family they put sponsors aside like everybody has each other's backs in the industry and you know there there's a few there's a few bad seeds obviously i mean there there's going to be those but majority i mean it seems like a pretty tight knit family yeah well and that's uh you know just part of something you have to deal with and people's personalities clash sometimes people get too big for the britches all that good stuff oh um, yeah Dude, another thing that I hated about it was just trash talk haters. Like, yep. it's one of those things you respond to, it makes it way worse. But at the end of the day, you have some pride and you're like, oh, I want to say something, but I can't type thing. Yep, yep. Do you find a lot of that doing national mm. stuff? No. You know, honestly, everybody's good about I mean, I, I've never been the type to go around bad-mouthing people. That's not going to get you anywhere. And we actually had last week or two weekends ago, we had our annual jury meeting at the First Form headquarters in St. Louis. And Jake from First Form, like one of the bullet points that he went over about being in this industry and social media and stuff like that is talking shit is not going to get you nowhere. And I think it was, I don't know if you have ever listened to, um, Andy Frizzella's podcast Mm-mm. he's fucking good if you haven't listened to him you should but he talks about it as well about how shit talking it just makes you look even worse and not to do it and completely cut it out so I've never been one to, to be a huge shit talker and don't get me wrong like back in the day yeah <laughs> right. I, mean, I mean you just I think as you grow and get older, you mature more and you realize, like, it's not even worth your fucking time talking about that shit. So, I don't notice any of that. And if there is, it's behind closed doors, I guess. Well, that's good, man, because I know that was, like, a huge distaste, you know, for the whole experience. It was the one sour, well, not the one sour, but, you know, one of the few sours, because it's, it is a privilege to be able to do that type of stuff. And sometimes it's like the one negative thing can weigh so heavily on your mind versus the ten positive things, you know, that you get yeah. out of something. Yeah. So it definitely uh, it definitely can make it a pain in the butt. But, you know, so you do this stuff, man, and then uh, you, go, you go to the National, and then were, you were working, uh, like, your regular job at that point. When, when did... Um, the full-time photography because I think we talked a little bit right when you did uh, you went to a full-time like private photographer like wedding seniors all that type of stuff yeah Um, so like I was I was fucking working at a garage door company probably three years ago I'd been there for a while and uh, I just get I I was trying to, to pick up a bunch of freelance photography and assistant work and stuff just just in the outdoor industry and fishing community and stuff like that and uh man bass bro just kept using me as an independent contractor so i finally got to a point where it's like i couldn't i had to pick one or the other stick with the garage door shit or 
or chase my dream and it was a nerve-wracking leap but um looking back i'm glad i did it but the the freelance world was awesome and kicking ass really i had a ton of shit going until covid hit and everything just just fucking stopped and really shitty but the good thing the good part for me was that uh bass pro had reached out during covid and was like i know shit's tough right now slow if you want to come in here we got a spot for you and i was like sign me up let's do it and so that's how that's how that all came about but yeah i still do i still do the family photos weddings senior pictures and shit on the side i'm so fucking behind right now with editing and (laughs) shit that's what i'm about to go do tonight after we get off this call (laughs) it's 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 i don't know it's a lot it's a lot but I mean, it's a grind, and it gets you where you want to go one day, I guess. Yeah, that's the uh, the non-fun part that people don't think of when they want to be photographers and videographers is that, you know, you might spend an hour on a shoot, and now you have 12 hours of editing to do. Yeah, yeah. And especially a wedding, like... Oh, God. My biggest, my biggest fears with doing weddings is disappointing the bride. Mm-hmm. Like, holy shit. It's, it's overwhelming, but... And then siphoning through wedding photos. Like, I did a wedding a couple weeks ago, and I bet I took, like, 3,000 photos. Well, only 100, 100, 150 of those are going to get edited, so i got to take the time to click through 3,000 pictures and pick the best ones, and shit, it's a headache. I hate it. Yeah, I, uh, I've second... And it's not, it's not as easy as slapping a filter on a photo, either. No, yeah. That's I, not edited. I've said, uh, I've second shot two weddings and it is so much easier to just be like all right here's my sd cards you know have a good one rather than dude if i could shoot weddings and just turn over an sd card i'd do i'd do it full time yeah it's it's cake to second shoot you're just hanging out yeah yeah it uh that whole culling through you know 10 pictures of you know that were shot in two seconds and trying to pick the best one like it's a freaking nightmare and it's something that people don't think about because everybody's like you know i want to get a quote for something and you hit them with this number and they're like i don't understand how it's so expensive i can buy new gear for that (laughs) i know yeah i feel bad quoting wedding sometimes because the i'm just scared of the reaction i'm gonna get and i'm probably cheap compared to the wedding photographers in the area well that's something i was gonna say too is um you know, and that that really screws up pricing and stuff like that, especially for somebody who's new doing it and you're trying to grow. So you're like trying to come up with these little short sessions for a deal. And the whole social media world is flooded with all of these people that are willing to do something cheap. And you're like, I'm trying to do this and make a living. You know, I, I can't I can't afford to keep getting low cut by every other Tom Dick out there. So it's like, yeah. You're trying to grow something. Mm-hmm. It's a freaking nightmare, man. It's kind of, you know, it brings me back full circle to the hunting industry. And this is a whole nother uh, topic of the TV show game. Like, yeah. more and more TV show. I don't, I don't even have cable anymore. I don't think I've had cable in forever. I'll watch uh, some stuff on Carbon here and there. Like, uh-huh. is that something that's been discussed amongst, you know, the jury group? Or have you even, like, had to sit through any of that kind of conversation of what the hell platforms are we going to be on? Like, 
the, I mean, dude, Drury's one of the best names ever, so it's not like, you know, they're oh, fighting for airtime. Yeah, no, and that they fucking, they ball out, dude. If there's a social platform, they're on it. They got a YouTube page. They're on, they've got four different TV shows within Sportsman's Channel, Outdoor Channel, like, whatever platforms out there, they're on it. So, they're, they're hitting every single platform, chasing every single viewer and number they can get. Yeah, that's what I was going to... I've wondered, like, what their percentage-wise... Or just any, uh, you know, hunting shows percentage-wise has, like, shifted to, like, a streaming service or... Right. You know, versus that old... The only reason I had cable forever was when we had a show. I was like, I have right. to have cable so that way I can at least watch the show. <laughs> that was the only thing I watched on there. I stream football. Yeah. Like, you know. Mm-hmm. So it makes me wonder, you know, hunting shows and, uh, you know, what, I don't know. I feel like the premise of them, I feel like what you guys are doing and what Drury does by taking different guys and piecing stuff together to make it an episode, uh-huh. um, you know, telling three different stories in an episode with different guys. Is that how you guys are doing it? Or are you doing like a full 25 minutes you're turning into them type thing? No, it's, it's you know, we... And that's one thing with with Brett and I, when we joined the juries, um, taking a step back from editing our stuff, they do all editing in-house. So we don't really, I guess it just depends on how good of a story we tell with our footage. Um, And that'll that'll decipher how, how long it takes up in an episode or what. But, you know, I mean, they pride themselves on, on giant deer and action packed episodes. So, yeah, well, I think it, I think it'll flow more with with what they have going on. Don't get me wrong; we can we could draw we could tell a story and draw it out for the whole 25, 30 minute episode. But I think in this day and age, like people when they view something, they want to see it quick and happen. So sometimes a long story can get boring. But then there's the other viewers who enjoy that stuff, like the Heartland Bowhunter guys. The Lindsays, they're great at the storytelling. And I, I personally love that stuff as well. So it's just all on the viewer and what they want to see. Yeah, I was going to say, it's just different strokes, you know. As far as the uh, the getting shorter, I think, you know, that is going to be more and more of what you see. Because it used to be like, you know, you'd meet somebody and they're like, ah, you know, I have a hunting show. And you're like, oh, what, what channel, you know, are you guys on? And they're like, oh, we just do it on YouTube. And you're like, oh, okay. Well, that's cool. I'll check it out. But it wasn't the same thing. Nowadays, it's like, it's perfectly acceptable. And that might be somebody's like, you're almost better off if you're starting a show today to jump on and do YouTube and never jump, you know, onto a a national level. Yeah, unless you just blow up and have no choice but to do it yeah I mean, if you got the dollars to do it and it's not hurting you you might as well it's yeah. only going to get your name out there more but you're right putting a sometimes putting a five minute episode up on facebook can be more effective than a 30 minute episode on the outdoor channel yeah it's crazy man Just, it is in the cost analysis because the last year that david and i were going to do it we had uh it was pursuit and i think we were going to pay five grand for 13 weeks and I said, no, I don't feel like spending spending that kind of money, you know. And uh, it's like YouTube, you can go slap help five grand, you know. I can buy some new gear for five grand. Yeah. <laughs> no shit. 
Yeah. So and honestly, like I think in today's in today's age, five five G's is probably cheap. Oh yeah. Super cheap. Well, and that's something that I tell you know a lot of guys talking hunting TV and different stuff. Obviously, I get on that with this podcast. I try to wean it off because I'll find myself talking about it too much. And I'm like, hey, man, this is just my experience in the outdoor world. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. this is what I have to talk about. If you want to talk duck calls, I can talk duck calls all day long. But um, the hunting game is, uh, I don't even remember what I was going to say. I told you, I warned you about that. Um, <laughs> what did we say? What were we talking about two seconds ago? Uh, Advertise, uh, dollar amount for shows and shit. And how it's cheap. Yeah. Man, I don't know what idea I had coming up to, I'm sure. Um, oh, things are getting more and more expensive. Okay, there we go. Yeah, so, yeah. if you look, the last time I really watched, like, national hunting TV, maybe was 2017, 2018 time frame. And it seems like the do-it-yourselfers type guys. It's yeah. like... Um, you know, obviously, there's some really well-established, long-time, do-it-yourself type guys that have been out there forever, and they're always going to have a show, um, like the Heartlands, all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like now, more and more, it's the company that owns, like the company that owns it, like R&T TV. They've had a show forever. Um, yeah. AVNX, probably the most popular uh, uh, waterfowl hunting show, and I don't know what, if it is now, but it was forever. It's like the companies are going out and making their own show instead of sponsoring somebody else's show because they can use it as a tax write-off, you know? Yeah. And then they can take on other sponsors. So it's yeah. like it's double-dipping. So that do-it-yourselfer guy, because I remember when I first really paid attention to outdoor TV, I don't know, 2011, 2012, before I got into it, um, Dude, there was a ton of do-it-yourself shows that were there for yeah. a year, then gone the next year. Like, yeah. that type of situation. I think those are the ones that are going to die out, and you're just going to be left with the big names. Yeah. I agree. Completely agree. I can, I bet the the outdoor industry is so flooded with, because everybody thinks it's as easy as going and buying a camera and putting a YouTube up. It's, it's, it's not. It's just not that easy. And there, there will be hundreds of thousands of shows that pop up and then go rough then they're gone in two or three years yeah it's just it's just not what people think it is well and you're trying to capture a share of the market that is so flooded with everything like i heard a stat i can't remember if it was on rogan or what i was listening to that there's like a 10 million hours of footage put up on youtube a day or something like that it might even be higher than that every day yeah so you're trying to get your five minute hunting episode some attention like the odds of it happening are so extremely low that you like you have to keep doing it and you know come up with your you have to go into it with a game plan yeah you have to have your own little niche that that catches people's that and what I found because I've interviewed a lot of guys on here and in the waterfowl world I've talked to some of the biggest name guys on here um, that I'd never spoken to before in my life and the way that I got to talk to them I just asked 
<laughs> you know, it was as simple as that. Like a lot of guys are like, I've never really even, you know, been asked or any of that type of stuff. I was like, really? Um, I, I can't remember if I had, I know I did Cole Foyles, his first interview podcast and I've had him on a few times. And uh, his dad, Jeff, was like one of the most famous duck and goose hunters out there for a long time. He had really? a big famous legal story. Like, it's been featured in a hundred podcasts. And I was like, dude, nobody's asked his son what it was like going through all this stuff and talk to his son and find out his story. So I was like, cool, I'm just going to ask him. He's like, literally nobody's ever asked me. That's like one of my highest rated episodes. I'll be done. Yeah, just that's crazy. Yeah, it's it's this it's, is the first one I've ever done. Which is really funny that you chose this one that has nothing to do with uh, waterfowl, but I'm glad you did, man. <laughs> or uh, glad nothing to do with deer hunting. <laughs> if you listen to some of them, you will openly hear me say that I cannot do it at all. <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking hilarious. I'm gonna have to listen to a few of them. I've known you've done this podcast for a while, but. And I, I've never been one to, like, listen to a, a bunch of podcasts. I've started in the last couple months, like, so I'll have to add it to the list. Man, I uh, I never was a big podcast guy until I started driving. Like, with my uh-huh. job, I drive 400 miles a day. And then yeah. I'll be out in the, uh, the call shop making duck calls, and I'll listen to, you know, you, there's only so many times you can watch Netflix, Hulu, all that type of stuff. And I'll get right. worn out with it. There's only so many times you can listen to your music that you like. You know, like, I just want something different. So I'll jump onto a podcast and start listening to that type of stuff. But now I have, like, five daily ones that I listen to. If they miss or yeah. they're late for their episode. I'm like, what the hell? You know, like, I, I need my yeah. information. But, uh... So we mentioned, you know, you know, your bread and butter is deer hunting. You're really passionate. You love deer hunting. You love all things deer hunting, shooting, photography, um, you know, going in, putting in food plots, all that type of stuff that comes with it that, you know, you don't see. I, I guess more of the storyteller guys throw it on TV, um, yeah. but you just don't see a lot of that stuff. It's really funny that that is your favorite aspect of it. And you happen to own the Missouri record for the largest turkey taken. Is it by bow or is it like all together? No, it's just with with a bow. Largest turkey with a bow. Which is which is freaking crazy. All right, so <laughs> tell you know it's not even your favorite thing. That'd be like me being like, oh, I don't even really like. I love ducks and geese, and then I have the world's largest pheasant. You know, like <laughs> I don't even yeah, like. Uh, I forgot. I forget about it all the time until people randomly bring it up. And then I'll have to get on NWTF's site and make sure it's still number one. <laughs> <laughs> so is it, it's the largest in Missouri? Yeah. Okay, cool. Tell, uh, tell a story, dude. All right, all right. So <laughs> I used to hunt this place out, uh, I guess it's east of, east of Springfield around Sparta area. And, uh, just the nastiest like mountainous terrain in Dude, Missouri. the worst like, terrain <laughs> yeah it's awful like it's absolute shit like you could you could if you got hurt out there like you'd be fucked there's, there's not even no service out there. out there dude there's no service there's nothing it's up and down <laughs> loose freaking rock oh yeah it's it's when you think of chasing turkeys in Missouri like you don't think of a property like this well 
obviously there's fucking giant turkeys out there and this place is full of like full of wildlife there's a ton of deer a ton of turkeys there's pigs out there the land you know how landowners can have some crazy stories well, there's bear out there dude Oh yeah, there's there's a ton of bears out there, and that's mainly why I loved the, this place because I knew there'd be a bear season eventually, and there's gonna be one this fall. I didn't draw a tag. A buddy of mine did, but it doesn't matter because I lost that property next door to to where we killed that bird at, and where all these bears are at. But uh, anyways, yeah. So this landowner is talking to me one day, and he's like, "Watch out for the cats." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" He goes, "Well." I found one of my my calves ten foot up a tree the other day. I'm like, no shit. I mean, he's dead serious. Like, has this look in his eye. Like, and you know, I always, if an old old man landowner, old man farmer tells me something, like I fucking believe it. Those guys know their shit. They they they've been around the block. Like, they know what they're talking about. So, I always watch my back for for mountain lions out there. I've never seen one, but I just thought. Man, that's the craziest story. And it's, I don't think, like, it's not typical for a bear to to kill something and drag it up a tree like that. Like, that's a cat thing. Yeah, bears bury. I know at least big, you know, brown bears right. and stuff like that bury. I don't know what black bear do. Uh, dude, Missouri bears are weird. Like, half of them don't even hibernate because it doesn't get that cold. Like, a sow with cubs, she'll hibernate. But, like, younger males and stuff, like, they don't even actually truly hibernate like like you think a bear does. Hmm. But uh, anyway, I had this camera out and a couple food plots on this place in the like the two flat spots of this farm, uh, clover plots, and just covered with covered with birds. And you know, all turkeys pretty much look the same. <laughs> right. But dude, when these birds come in to these avian decoys, like. They just both, both of them just looked giant. And I've got the footage somewhere of this hunt. But, yeah, shot him, started flopping. My buddy who was filming actually had his bow with him as well. And he shot the other one. And it <laughs> ran off. He nailed it. But we never found it. I don't, shoot, hunting birds with, with bows is super tough. Like, I don't even do it anymore, really. Well, yeah, you have to get so much closer still. They're, yeah, like, decoys it, are like yeah. 10 steps and shit. But, uh, yeah, well, dude, I didn't even, I didn't even know that bird was like, yeah, I picked him up. I'm like, man, this, this is the biggest spurs I've ever, I've ever seen on a bird that I've killed. And a guy that was with me was like, you should score that. And I'm like, score a turkey. What are you talking about? And he goes, dude, <laughs> people score them all the time. I'm like, have at it. So he scored it, looked it up. He's like, that's the state record turkey with a bow. I'm like, you're shitting me. And it blew up. It was all on the news and stuff. Like I, I was just last because I didn't think it amounted to anything, but my gosh, that story blew up like crazy. Yeah, I remember seeing it come across, uh, I don't know if it was on the page of the paper. I don't think I've read a, an actual paper in a it decade. Was on, it, the, my, my freaking picture was on the front page of the newspaper with this turkey. <laughs> cracked me up, man. Like, I couldn't believe it. Oh, it was so funny. Like, yeah, and had no clue it was even any, you know, you knew it was big, but yeah, could like, you I imagine knew, if you, a, did you mount that? I knew that? it was a stud. Like, it had to be, he wasn't like your typical two-year-old gobbler who gobbles his head off. Like, these birds gobbled on the roost maybe three or four times, 
And if it wasn't for the hens, I don't know if we would have killed them. Like, I was calling my butt off, and, like, they shut up, didn't do nothing, and here come a couple hens, and then there they were behind them. So it was, it all played out due to the food plot and those hens just being on that on that pattern, coming to it every morning. Mm-hmm. And then the decoys obviously did the rest, and birds came straight into them and started beating them up. But, yeah, I took a dude, shitty story about that bird. Um, I did take it to get it full body mounted just because of the circumstances. And uh, it took like a year and a half to get it. And I'm not going to name the, the taxidermist or anything like that. I don't want to. Yeah. Anyways, it <laughs> right. took a year and a half to get it. I go pick it up. The motherfucker looks like a Jake, the size of a Jake. Like oh. the worst, the worst mount ever. Oh. And the guy, I, I told him, I was like, what is this? And I start Googling pictures of, of turkey mounts. I'm like, it should look like this. And he's like, well, I don't really do that many turkeys. I was like, you, why didn't you tell me that when I dropped it off? And it turned into an ordeal. And he's like, I'll sell it to somebody else. I said, the fuck you will. <laughs> I, gave it, I paid $600 for this turkey that I've used as a decoy for the last 10 years. <laughs> Jesus. And you're like, it's, it's phenomenal decoy. It's been beat up like crazy by a bunch of birds. That's so funny. Everybody who's you know a turkey hunter is like, do you have the largest of the state of Missouri? In Missouri, especially at that time frame, like what was that? Four years ago? Yeah, I think so. Something like that. <laughs> Missouri was still number one in the nation for turkey hunting. I think Mississippi uh-huh. might be now, or Atlanta, or Alabama. But uh-huh. Missouri was. So it's like, it's a dream freaking Eastern and just an absolute stud, and you're out there using it as a decoy. <laughs> <laughs> I know it. I am. You should see this thing. It looks like shit. I've been beat to hell. Yeah. It's been destroyed. You know, and that's something you said your buddy got a shot off on the other one. That is uh-huh. one thing that I love about turkey and hate about turkey hunting is. Dude, they're so finicky, especially where you're talking about where we hunt, where there's, you know, what, three different parties that hunt out there from time to time, you know, and to what, 15 different guys here and there. I mean, it's a big monster piece of property and adjoining, but it's still, they're pressured birds. And, uh, dude, I've been out there and watched the wind blow on a scouting trip when we're two hills away looking through, you know, binos watch the wind blow and that freaking turkey spook and take off sprinting away and then i freaking dropped a bird and watched his buddies just sit there and look at him i'm like you know i know it's such a finicky thing and they're such a strange goofy animal to hunt but that run and gun style dude is the way to go yeah i love it absolutely love it that area but God, dude, I have, we've walked so many freaking miles up and down those hills. Like, people hear hills, and, you know, we, we have the luxury of being from southwest Missouri where there's some actual hills. But, you know, I get people that listen to this thing from freaking Kansas, Iowa, Ohio. Ohio has a little bit right on the boundary. But, dude, these things, are, these things would be mountains in Kansas, you know? Oh, good gosh, yeah. Dude, it is a horrible, horrible hike. And uh, I've I've never shot one at the bottom, but I know David has, and he about had a damn stroke trying to get a bird out of the freaking bottom of a ravine. We chased we chased five or six down there this past spring, and it was all 
and nobody's going to know what we're talking about, but that very back corner that goes back to the Mark Twain area, mm-hmm. we chased five or six birds. They were in a group all the way down to that bottom up next to the private ground and stayed down there till one o'clock freaking 85 degrees that walk that walk up the hill without a turkey gave me a stroke dude that that's another bad thing is i love turkey hunting when it's nice and cool out but dude you never know what it's going to be like in april freaking missouri it might be freaking like you said 80 degrees out and raining you're like this this sucks yep yeah, that's pretty freaking wild. So you you have that one, and then you it was the same year that you shot like a freaking another monster, didn't you? It was yeah, it was it's my like a, second bird that season. Was ended up being like fifth? six or seven. Yeah, with the bow. <laughs> <laughs> that was right here in Ozark, though. Was that on the spot that we were talking about? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so when I, uh, I'll i go duck and goose hunting, it's kind of like the spot that me, you, and Brett um, and David were goose hunting at, and uh, that area, and we'll go goose hunting in that area a lot. I haven't been out there this year because now I live in Nixa and it's so far away just to scout as a waste of time, but um, we used to hunt out there a lot, and we'd shoot, you know, speckle bellies and a bunch of honkers and a bunch of ducks, and people would be like, where's that at? I'm like, dude, literally like a mile from the house. For the, <laughs> the story is, is um, there's a piece of property that's like what a mile and a half, two miles from your house, a mile from my old house. Yeah, if that. That is on like our main highway getting to Springfield from uh from Ozark, and I lived out there for five years, and every day I'd be like, man, if these sons of guns would ever get off of this private no freaking you know those people are like hell no and uh, i was like if they'd ever get off there well they built the road through their property that one year and it pushed all the birds off and they kind of were like they went over to the property to the east of them for a while and that guy hunts and he was like no and then they started pushing back towards that uh that other cornfield that you use for uh deer hunting oh yeah and uh yeah, so you end up taking the six. I, I knew there was monsters in there. Uh, I'm explaining a lot for listeners, but you end up taking the sixth largest bird, like a mile and a half from the house. Yeah, it, it's it was a big one. It's just the joy of living in Missouri. There's been some nice deer that go through that little area too. I killed a 153 inch ten there three years ago. Yeah, yeah, I dude, I believe it. I used to freaking and like it's. <laughs> I mean, golly, it's all because it's all because of the property along the highway. It it's like a sanctuary. They're not touched there. I will say that I heard this last spring that their farmhand they are allowing him to hunt now. So I don't know how that'll affect it or who that guy is or what the situation is over there. But he uh, he's lucked out. He's got himself a, a gold mine of a property. Well, it's good if he's hunting turkey because it'll push the freaking birds off that property, which right. you know just kind of resets the whole thing. But if you're if you're talking deer, I don't know what that'll do to deer. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Uh, I wouldn't think it. He's not going to hurt him too bad. I wouldn't think. Um, I will say that that cornfield property that I hunt since I shot that bird, it hasn't been worth a shit for turkey hunting the last couple years. That's so wild. It is across the street from like their 
their habitat for 10 years, you know? Yeah, it's, it's awful. I hadn't even turkey hunted it the last few years. That's wild. Well, then we, uh, we tried to do that one goose hunt on it, and they were uh-huh. there for freaking ever, and then I've never seen a goose use that field again. Nope, me either. And before that year, I'd never seen them use it ever. Right. It was, uh, it was strange, man, but, uh, that's just the way, the way it goes sometimes. And, you know, the joys of living in this area, man, uh, as far as I, I trash talk it a lot for waterfowl, but if you do about any other type of hunting, there is so much opportunity for everything around here. It's insane. There really is. And if you're not worried about killing giant deer then you can i mean you can have a blast down here and that's i kind of i don't know i've kind of got to a point where this area really isn't satisfying me as far as white you know, i hunt probably 10 11 different farms around this area and it's like i'm just waiting for one deer to show up on one of them that's big enough for me to chase um so i i've been leasing in kansas now and then just acquired a piece up in kirchville north missouri so i'll probably focus on my my boys killing deer around here and i'll probably hunt up north yeah it is uh it's drastically different you know there's just not enough freaking nutrients and food source and uh is it the terrain that makes it so much harder down here no it's not the terrain really it's one it's food source there's not really there isn't shit for crops around here, which the ground's shitty anyways. I don't know. I mean, there's some alfalfa fields if there's more of that. I mean, I don't know. But when it comes to quality, like, we could grow quality deer down here without the crops if every if every neighbor would be a part of that management process. But, I mean, to tell a neighbor not to shoot a three-year-old deer, is, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah, not in this part of the freaking state. Or any part of the state, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's it's tough because they're freaking deer, man. They jump over everything. And then you get into, like, the people that do high fence, weird. Like, what's your opinion on high fence? Uh, I mean, I would never personally deer hunt a, a high fence deer. But I'll go, I'll go shoot a pig or a hog inside it. What if it's what if it's high fence in like Texas where there's like seven thousand acres? I don't know. I think it'd be in the back of my mind still. Yeah. I was gonna I say mean, that's know, that's a big I know piece of property. Seven thousand acres is a ginormous piece of land. Yeah. I think it'd weigh in the back of my mind the whole time. Yeah, it will, you know, you hear about all those places in, like, Texas where they have all these gigantic freaking huge ranches, and then you start looking at the acreage of some of the high fence places, you're like, you have a 30,000 acre high fence? Okay, well, that's not really high fence at that point anymore, you know? Yeah. When it's farther than the deer travel, but it's different when you import the farm-raised deer and start bringing them into high fence like have you seen some of there's one i was listening to on a podcast where a guy had like a 580.2 year old yeah i have no desire for any of that bullshit dude that is insane how can you lift its head well just the look of it it's like i just couldn't take pride in shooting a deer like that yeah. You know, it's one thing, like, them deer farmers, and they do their thing and stuff, but 
let alone the dollar amount to go kill one of those, yeah, I wouldn't waste the money. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't know if you. If I was offered a free hunt to shoot a deer that caliber, I probably wouldn't do it. Yeah, it, it, it's a weird thing. There's always going to be the guy that is, and uh, you know, good on the farmer. You know, he found a way to make money out of livestock because that's essentially what it is. No different than yeah. growing cattle. But I can totally understand not wanting to shoot a a freaking farm raised one because I wouldn't want to hunt farm raised ducks. No, it's like he the deer would probably walk by me and know I'm there and just fucking come in the blind looking for a treat or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's like, you know, Missouri. I don't know. Can you hunt over f- uh, food in Kansas? In Kansas, yeah, you can bait. And then in Arkansas, you can bait. I think Oklahoma, you can bait. Uh-huh. Missouri might be one of the only ones. Illinois. Illinois is a goofy one. You can't even rifle hunt in Illinois. As far yeah, as I know. Not. I think you can only shotgun hunt. Yeah, shotgun. Yeah. No, you, yeah, Missouri. I don't, you can't bait in Iowa either. You can't. It wouldn't do you any good. The whole freaking state is full of food. Yeah, it's like all you got to do is mow an acre of corn. There you go. <laughs> well, is that technically baiting? Well, that's what, see, that's, it's a weird, it's a weird subject because in Missouri, you can't go spread a 40 pound bag of corn, but you can grow corn and mow it with a brush hog and hunt over it legally. But it, for but deer? You can't, yeah, for deer. I don't, yeah, I was going to say, you can't do it for waterfowl, but, um, no, like you I can't even, uh, you can't even take like your four wheeler out and run over standing corn for waterfowl. And, uh, I don't think anywhere, maybe because it's a federal thing, but I didn't really? know that you could freaking, uh, like, um, brush hog and just leave it out there. Just tear it and leave corn out there for deer. Yeah. If I, I can plant like five acres of corn and then I can go mow it all down to the ground two days before gun season and then sit over it opening day that makes no sense does it have to be the two weeks like you know if you bait um for certain things i don't know if it's like it for deer if you bait you have to pull it up after the last piece of freaking food is off the thing it's like another 10 days or something like that so it's like no no you don't have to do that either like if it is a crop that you've grown then you can hunt over it you can mow it down in the ground and hunt right on top of it. No shit. But if, but, I, but if I pour, if I pour a forty-pound bag of corn out on opening day of deer season, September fifteenth, I can't hunt that spot until every drop of corn has been gone for ten days. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. That's that's the baiting law that I've heard. That's such. It's so. You know, the semantics of the laws, it's just... That makes zero sense. They just need to let people bait and just get it over with, you know, like... It's not worth the hassle of fighting over because there's so many loopholes to the law. It's like, just let people do it. Because the people that aren't going to do it, aren't going to do it. Well, and I, I guarantee you, there's a high percentage of people that are bait every year in Missouri anyways. Well, yeah, 100%. I wouldn't say 100%, but... <laughs> Anywhere outside of Springfield, like, yeah, I would say, you know, some of those haulers and freaking dirt roads that you turn yeah. down to, there's there's some definite baiting going on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, we'll get off the actual um, 
you know, deer, duck, all that good stuff, hunting, as far, I guess it's still hunting, as far as, like, uh, filming and uh, stuff like that, have you filmed for, like, any freelance before you were, because uh, you were just saying how you took um, Maggie Williams out on a hunt, like, what, tell us, I don't know, some stories with that. Like so yeah, so I met Maggie uh, on that waterfowl shoot in Arkansas last year. Okay. And uh, and uh, Dusty Yarbrough and Jennifer, they're good friends of mine, and they they all have a their little YouTube show, uh, Passionate Pursuit Outdoors, and yeah, they were all up here turkey hunting and asked if I could help get Maggie on a bird, and we got her on a bird, but she's a duck hunting fool. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, I, that was just kind of a... Just a spur-of-the-moment random just thing? Just a spur-of-the-moment for fun deal. That's that's kind of the cool just, thing, you know, when you get people from out of state. It's almost like you could do some, uh-huh. some hunt trading when it comes to that type of stuff. Oh, definitely. And I'll, I'll definitely be going to Arkansas to hunt this year. Yeah, for sure. Um, for that. Yeah, get back in the freaking standing timber, man. <laughs> I plan on it. I'm... Man, I'm jacked up for that. Oh, dude, it's it needs to get here because uh, today feels a little bit better than it has, but I am over the heat. I am too. It's miserable. Dude, my freaking shop is not AC, and uh, there are very few hours of time that I actually want to be out there making dust. Oh, I bet. Yeah. So, I'm going to need a dust haul, by the way. Uh, absolutely, man. It, it will look real good. It might not sound, you know, great, but it'll look real good. Uh, all, as long as it looks good, we're good to go. That's right. It's all for the gram. Um, exactly. <laughs> as far for, uh, you know, filming and doing stuff for Bass Pro, like, they, they have, like, uh, any shoots or anything that you're, like, looking forward to in the next, this hunting season that they have scheduled <laughs> out? Or is it pretty much they just say, hey, do whatever and submit your stuff? No, the stuff through Bass Pro at work is it's more of a it's more of a lined out deal. There's a bunch of processes and shit, and you know since COVID, like we really haven't been having many photo shoots. Like the boat industry is booming. Like they're, we're not marketing for boats, so we're not having boat shoots. Um, we're coming up on fall, and like we've yet we we're supposed to have a a preseason shoot for whitetail coming up but that hasn't happened yet so you know we're kind of up in the air with shoots uh, i'm curious as to what the fall is going to hold for that um but we're definitely slow right now so it's 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 dragging at work i'm not gonna lie i was gonna say it's a crazy time of year to not be you know taking pictures <laughs> i know it. i know it. it sucks and we're all going stir crazy in the studio but it, you know it's it's the cards we've been dealt so just have to ride it out we'll we'll get back to doing our normal thing eventually i hope were you there last year for hunting season or did you start you said it was like during the pandemic were you uh doing like us no i started there um in september of last year okay so right at a year yeah right when it started and we did a couple deer we did a couple whitetail shoots and some fall stuff some rifle stuff and and then did that waterfowl shoot so it was it was pretty low key stuff, and we got a bunch of good stuff, and it, it's all over the, the catalogs and stuff right now. They're actually working on the, the waterfowl catalog. It's not out yet, but should be released soon, going into the fall. So, 
I was gonna it was say, a fun first year. When you go from doing more of your own freelance stuff, like, say you're working for, you know, lacrosse boots or something like that, and they're like, hey, we need some photos for boots, and you just go and come up with your own stuff that has, you know, some of their logos and showing boots during a hunting trip or something like that. Like, when you go to work uh, for something, you know, that's more structured like Bass Pro, is it, like... Do they have more stipulations that, hey, we want this type of three-quarter, you know, down low shot? Like, it, Most it, definitely. Yeah, it's like, like when I was doing, when I would do the freelance stuff, like, it's pretty much, here's the product, give me some cool shit, we're relying on you to get the cool shit. If you don't, if you don't produce, then they're not going to use you again. When it comes to Bass Pro stuff, there's art directors involved stylists like all the full nine yards and it it's honestly it's overwhelming i wish it would i wish we could go to the here's the product get me some cool shit type of thing because it's it's such a headache the way the way this stuff goes in the studio where we're at i was gonna say you figure it'd be hard because obviously you're a photographer videographer you you're creative man so you can have a vision in your head and you're trying to put it down, you know, through a picture, through film, and then somebody else has a, you know, a picture in their head of what they want it. Like, has it been a weird process to try to, like, do they have to reel you guys in doing that side of things? Or do you have to, like, nudge to say, hey, but what about this type of thing? Like, the give and take? Most definitely. It's, it goes both ways. Like, we're, we... We try to do our own thing, get reeled back in, and then we're also pushing like, "Hey, what about this? Let's do this. Let's do this." And it, it's it, at the end of the day, I, we get the cool shit we want plus some the stuff that they they need for the catalogs <laughs> for all the other stuff. And it's, so it's almost like it's you. Go, I was gonna say it's almost like you go out and you check all their boxes real quick, and you're like, "Okay, now I'm gonna shoot what I think looks cool." And show them to That's you. exactly it. It's it is absolutely draining. But we, you know, we've got a, a new photography manager in there, and he's trying to change the way things work. So hopefully, the future's bright, and uh, we can get to a good pattern and routine up there because it's definitely crazy right now. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say, man, it's a it's a good thing to have that type of pushback against from both sides. Because that means you're always evolving, trying to figure out a way to make it a little bit better, a little more streamlined. And then you get a process down, and you like it, and then somebody pushes and wants to shake things up a little bit, and you push back. And it's like it just keeps creating better and better versus you can tell when something becomes so stale, whether it be a TV show, a band making an album, you know, anything. You can just tell when something becomes stale and like what we were talking about earlier, just reading stuff off the cue card. Yeah. Yep. It's, uh, I can't tell you how many times, like, we'll shoot something, come back, and people look at it like, nope, reshoot it. (laughs) And that's because, and that's even with their direction. So it's, dude, it's so, it's, it's draining. (laughs) And we've been losing a lot of people. Like, two of the, the longest tenured photographers up there have left in the last three weeks. Dang. So yeah, it's definitely a shake up at that point. It is. It's it's rough up there, but like I said, hopefully we can. Hopefully there'll be some some positive stuff to talk about in the future, and we can get into a good routine. So we'll see what happens. 
Yeah, definitely. And you know, getting paid to do what you love, even if there's some pushback, nothing yeah, for free, and, right? And at the end of the at the end of the day, like that's what makes the bullshit worth it. It's like I could be doing eight to five somewhere else, or I can deal with the bullshit and go on some really cool shoots that involve duck hunting, turkey hunting, deer hunting, being on the lake. Like there's it, there's give and take there, and it, it, at the end of the day, it makes it all worth it. Yeah, absolutely, man. I was going to say, um, dude, I got to quit saying I was going to say. I think I've said that like t- 10 times in the last five minutes. <laughs> I get little weird ticks doing the podcast, then I'll listen back, and I'm like, oh, my God, I said bro like 100 times that episode. So then, like, I purposely would quit saying bro <laughs> it, and then pick up, like, another weird tick. But, yeah. Um, yeah, going out there and doing a job in, you know, the hunting industry, do you find that, you don't get to hunt nearly as much for fun as you used to. Shit, no. Really? Dude, no, like, hunting is my number one priority. And I, I I can't tell you, like, growing up over the years, like, how many jobs I've lost because of deer hunting. And that's not, that's no joke. I, it, it's sad. Like, I can tell you, um, I can tell you multiple, like, jobs people would, would love to have like good paying jobs nothing i'm like super passionate about but like awesome jobs in the sprinkled area that like a lot of people would want yeah you and could do for like, the rest um, of your life type thing yeah exactly that could be a good career and the simplest thing is like opening day of of season falling on a friday or something's like i'm going and it might sound super irresponsible and shit but it's like that passion's what's got me to where i'm at i've <laughs> I've never been one to be told no when it comes to my hunting shit. And I've just made it. It's just the way of life. And I'm just riding it out. You know, what I, I truly was... like, I truly wonder, like, are there people out there that are as obsessed as it as with it as I am? I, I truly don't think it's hard to think that there's anyone out there. Like, that's all I think about every day. That's all I, I'm planning the next, where I'm going to do this weekend, what plot I'm going to go check this weekend, like cameras I'm checking. I got trail cam picks, trail cam picks rolling in nonstop every day. Like, this girl yesterday at work, I'm scrolling through pics. She's like, is that all you do? I'm like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's just a way of life for me. It has been. It's just, since I was a kid, like, and when, when you hear the saying, what is it? Live, sleep, eat, breathe this shit. Like, that, that is me with whitetail hunting. <laughs> well, I was going to say, God dang it. Um, I'm going to say that you're in the right. <laughs> it's driving me nuts. Now I can't stop doing it. Um, this is the right podcast because the primary listenership of this is duck call makers, competition callers, um, at least in their family and friends like that's a lot of who listens to this so those guys like you work in the industry that's what you do because it's your passion that's what you love it the guys that you know have been on this thing a lot of them are call makers or guides guys that do stuff on top of just normal hunting season to keep the season going year round dude that's why I turn duck calls is to keep this thing going year round that's why I do a hunting podcast keep this thing going year round and yeah like it is it's a weird breed of individuals that we all are to just 
be so obsessed with something, it becomes life. And yeah. it's something that when I was first getting out of the Navy, I had no idea that where birds migrate to is what would dictate where I end up living. Dude, I thought I would end up living on the beach. My little brother lives in Clearwater Beach. He's from Missouri. Like, I thought I was going to end up living on the beach. And uh, yeah. now it's like birds don't migrate there. There's no duck hunting right there. Like, I don't know if I could yeah. ever live there full time. No, hell no. Yeah, so. It's, like, I fully plan on, like, when my kids are graduated or at least old enough to to not need me. No, well, don't get me. I can't say that. Like, kids are always going to need you until you're fucking old and gray. And I, I love being a dad, so. But whenever they get to a point in their life where they can be on their own i plan i'm my ass is moving to southern iowa where the freaking whitetail mecca is and that's where i'm gonna be kids can come with me doesn't matter but like those are my full intentions because as a southern iowa resident you don't have to draw for a tag i could be wrong i'm pretty sure if you own land you don't have to draw for a tag um in Missouri, being an over-the-counter state, I can just buy two out-of-state tags in Missouri. And then the Kansas draw every year, it's, I mean, your chances of drawing a tag in Kansas are usually pretty good. So, that's my long-term plan. Well, in Missouri, Missouri's a pretty cheap state, too, isn't it? Yeah, they are. I'm pretty sure the out-of-state turkey tag is more than the out-of-state whitetail tag. Which, which is insane. Which blows my mind. Yeah, that's insane. They're turkey every freaking way. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, dude, I don't blame you, man. It, it's like I was close enough that, hey, you guys can drive up. I'm still right in the area. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know, my kids, like, they all hunt. They all hunt with me. So, when I say that, my, my seven year old, this will be his first year. I take that back. I took him out last year with his toy bow. I shit you not. We had a spike walk by the blind at five yards, and the little shit shot it with its toy bow. <laughs> I'm not joking. He was on cloud nine. Then when he realized it didn't kill it, he was pissed. And that's all he talks about to this day. Is like, we got to get Spike. We got to go find Spike. So, I don't know. I assume that, I assume when I make that move to Iowa, they're probably going to follow well yeah especially if they keep that passion man and that's freaking hilarious like imagine what that deer thought like oh they got me never mind i've never laughed so hard in my life (laughs) and my old my his older brother my oldest son hunter he was there and holy crap him and i just oh we were dying laughing we got we got out the blind and left we're like we're getting out of here this evening's over (laughs) yeah we scared everything away and i think i pissed my pants laughing yeah, it was pretty great. But that's something we like. That's another thing about deer hunting is like, and any kind of hunting, duck hunting, turkey hunting, just man, those memories. Like, that'll be something we can look back on for years until we die. So it's it's just rewarding to be an outdoorsman just all around. So, well, and make your kids, you know, not make them, but put it in front of them to where they can appreciate it versus constantly looking down on a damn iPad because you have to fight to get them off of those things anyway. So it's like, uh-huh. if I can show you how fun the outdoors is, like, yeah. 
the iPads and all that crap, laptops, like, that's the way of the future. That's how work is going to be done. Like, I get that. I'm, for the people that are like, oh, I'm never going to teach my – my kid's never getting a phone. My kid's – I'm like, why would you set them up for failure? Like, you know, uh, that's the way of the future. You want them – like, that'd be like not sending them to school. Like, you want them to be ingrained with it and know how to use this stuff. But you also want them to appreciate the stuff away from it. Yep. 100%. Well, buddy, we've been going on for over an hour now, man. And uh, Shit, I know. Are all podcasts over an hour? I shoot for an hour to an hour and 20. And we're at uh, yeah. an hour and almost 15. So that's about nice. the perfect time frame, man. And I know you got some work to get to tonight. But I, uh, I appreciate the heck out of it, man. It's been a fun change of pace to talk something other than waterfowl. I know you love waterfowl, but I know. Uh, the other end of things is a little more uh, of your wheelhouse. And I like the TV, the photography. All the other stuff you got going on, man, is ridiculous. You've, you've taken an idea in the five, six years that I've known you, and you've taken it farther than I've seen anybody else around here take it. And I know that's I just a stepping that. stone, brother. I appreciate that. And, it, you know, like, it's not just me. Like, I've had shitload of help along the way, so... We all have to, man. We all have to. Yeah. All right, brother. Well, I hope you have a great night, and uh, I'll send you a link and let you know what's going on with this and uh, maybe get you back on after hunting yeah. season in a couple months or something and talk about what was going on with it. We should, man. I appreciate you having me. First time, like I said, it was fun. I'm going to listen to it now and critique myself and <laughs> see how shitty I did. Nah, man. You did great. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, take care, and I will hit you up later. All right, sounds good. I'll talk at you soon. Later, bud. Bye. Michael Heffernan, ladies and gentlemen, works for uh, Bass Pro, doing their media stuff on Drury Outdoors. He's a little bit of everything. State turkey hol- state record turkey holder uses it as a decoy. That I didn't even know that part of the story. So that's really funny that uh, he does that. We we hunt the same turkey areas. We'll get together for waterfowl hunts. It, it seems like once a season the last couple of years. So uh, very, very good dude. Very interesting. He has taken his passion for the outdoors and turned it into a career. And uh, just a real good dude. So check him out. Uh, I don't know. Jury Outdoors. I should have asked him if he had anything they wanted to follow. But uh, we'll post it up in the episode. And, uh, yeah, if you want to get yourself a paperweight of a duck call, unstable calls, leave us a review, BTBN, follow along social media, and subscribe to that thing. You guys have a good one.